thanks to the chair and thanks to the organizers for giving me an opportunity to present the paper here. Uh, let me put uh, things in perspective first. First and foremost, my vocation, I am a linguist. Uh, my area of specialization is uh, Russian linguistics or rather linguistics with L capital. Uh, since 1999, I have been involved in a lot of translation activity. Uh, usually, I translate from uh, Russian into Marathi. Uh, in 2020, uh, that being the year of Anagam Sathya's birth centenary, I translated his Maza Rashiyata Pravas into Russian. And uh, it was a kind of a movement from Marathi to Russian, Russian and back, and then again going back to Marathi, because this time I was taking a Marathi text into uh, Russian. And it was a revelation to me uh, of sorts. Um, um, I will, in the course of the uh, paper, I think uh, um, what I'm trying to say would be more clear. Uh, Javelog as a genre has a very long history in the literature's world over. Since ancient times, uh, we have the travel accounts from uh, the Greeks describing their travels in Travais to the East. We have Chinese scholars like Pathian. Uh, who made records of their visit to India. The old world voyagers like Columbus and Marco Polo maintained diaries and journals of their travels. The genre of travelogue was favored by the medieval Arab state. The names of Ibn Battuta and Kusto immediately come to our mind. The whole travelogue writing tradition was instrumental in generating fictional writing, especially the novel. The novels of the period of Romanticism in Europe in the 18th and the 19th century seem to emulate the voyage to exotic lands theme. Uh, if we take a look at the literary tradition in Marathi, there are some notable travelogues. The travelogue by Vasaikar Gorse Bhaji, describing his travels to the North India during the tumultuous times of 1857 mutiny, stands out because it is an eyewitness account of the mutiny and also, because of its style, right humor and an eye for detail. Anabhav Sathya's travelogue, Maza Rashiyasa Pravas, is also an important travelogue in the Marathi literary polysystem. I would like to explain what exactly I mean by literary polysystem. The, literary, uh, the concept of literary polysystem was developed by Itamar Ivan Zohar, and it is based on Russian formalism and sex structuralism. Uh, Zohar views literary polysystem as some sort of cultural and verbal network. It is a network of all the appearances or all the texts that exist in any one particular language. Uh, it is uh, the, uh, the travel of Madha Rashtra Pravas is interesting on several counts. It would very well be said to be the first travelogue in Marathi penned by a Dalit writer. Also, the country he visited is the Soviet Union. Today, in 2021, the country Soviet Union is not in existence. In this respect, the travelogue acquires a great archival importance. Visiting the Soviet Union, even in the days when Annabhav visited it, was quite uncommon. The ordinary Indian viewed the Soviet Union with mixed feelings. On the one hand, there was an appreciation of the Soviet achievements in the field of science and technology, especially the conquest of the space, while on the other hand, the communist ideology, the rigid political controls, and the Iron Curtain invoked fear and negative sentiments amongst Indian citizens. All in all, Soviet Union was not a land of dreams for an ordinary Indian citizen. But for Annamov Sathe, it was indeed a dreamland. In Mazarashiyasa Pravas, we come across unstinting praise of the Soviet Union and its achievements. 
Some of his observations can be called as naive today. Today, the country called Soviet Union has vanished from the face of the earth. The Iron Curtain no more hides it, and it is possible to evaluate the dark side of the Soviet Union. This dark side of the Soviet state was not visible to Anna Rosatke during his visit to the Soviet Union. There are several reasons for this. So one can concede that Madhya Rashya Sabravast is not a comprehensive picture of the Soviet Union in the 1960s. Any reader today might be tempted to overlook it and label it as biased in favor of the communist regime. But that would be grossly unjust. Madhya Rashya Sabravast is not just a portrait of the Soviet Union in the 1960s, but it is also a very interesting document that speaks about the Indian society of the 1960s. The observations are made by the writer who belongs to the untouchable community and who migrated to Mumbai from rural Maharashtra. As such, it reflects several ideological and practical issues that are pertinent even today. Rather than being a realistic portrait of the Soviet Union, the travelogue Madhya Rashiyata Pravas is noteworthy today on the following three counts. The Dalit identity of the writer, the ideological sustenance received by the writer from the Soviet literature and the response given by the Soviet people to the writer and the quality of interaction between the writer and the Soviet people. Uh, these three factors are interlinked and overlapping. In order to understand them better, I am trying to put the travel of Madharashyatsa Pravas in a context. I will compare it with another very popular travelogue in the Marathi literary policy. This travelogue served as a template for foreign travel to the aspirational Marathi middle class for a very long time. I am talking about Kula Deshpande's Apurvai, which describes Kula's travel to England, France and Germany. Apurvai details the experiences of the writer in the land considered by many in the Maharashtrian middle class as a dreamland for obvious reasons. In the 1990s, when there was a great upsurge in the size of aspirational Indian middle class, Many travel companies like Thomas Cook or Kesri uh, ran a promotional campaign based on Apurvai to entice the middle class to undertake foreign travel. Both these travel books, Madharashtriyasa Pravas and Apurvai, as also the lives of their writers, run almost parallel to each other chronologically and they represent the two end points of the Indian class caste system. Uh, the three noteworthy features of Annabon Sate's travelogue stand in stark relief when we compare it with another travelogue penned around the same time describing a visit to a first world country, a former colonizer country at that. The class caste location of both the writers, their upbringing and their ideological affinities have played a very crucial role in their appreciation of things encountered uh, in the foreign land. So we shall start by taking a look at the background and social surroundings of both the writers. Uh, Annabong Sathe was born on uh, 1st August 1920 in Vatigao in Satara district in a Martin family. Vatigao came under the princely state of Patwardhans in Dozhi. The Martans were untouchables who were classified under the Criminal Tribes Act of 1871 by the British. So anybody born in the caste was deemed a criminal at birth and as such, any member of the caste had to present himself for Hazari to the village chieftain. This Draconian law was amended in 1908, but the repercussions of the same must have been felt by the community for several decades. Anandam did not receive much by way of formal education. He was mostly self-taught, and that too when he migrated to Mumbai. 
Anubhav's family migrated to Mumbai in search of livelihood when he was 11 years old. They did not have money to buy tickets, so the family traveled to uh, travel the entire distance on foot. In Mumbai, Anubhav started working in the uh, unorganized sector, and the family lived mostly in makeshift tenements. In Matunga labor camp, Anubhav received ideological sustenance from the communist labor movement and the scheduled caste federation. He started writing and performing in the 1940s. From the Ajitprof thesis for the Communist Party, he moved on to Povadas, which enjoyed a great deal of popularity. And then on, he was writing short stories, novels, plays. Despite prodigious literary output and immense popularity, Annamav Sathya remained a figure on the periphery of the Marathi literary scene for a very long time. Annamav Sathya was appreciated and evaluated more only after the emergence of the Dalit Panther movement in the 1970s. Formation of Dalit Panthers was a turning point in Marathi literature. The Dalit literary movement went hand in hand with social activism and challenged the hegemonic narrative about art, literature, and culture. Pulu uh, Deshpande was born on 8th November 1919 in the middle class, upper caste urban family. The family lived in the western suburb of Mumbai in a society. Uh, which consisted mostly of people coming not just from the same socio-cultural ethos, but from the same native location, namely Karmar. Access to education and high culture was a given under such circumstances. Pula fondly remembers the kirtans in the temple, uh, recitation of religious texts like Harivijay and Pandav Pratap by his mother, uh, exposure to classical Marathi plays like Punya Prabha. Pula's grandfather was a writer and a translator who had translated Tagore's Gitanjali into Marathi. Pula received education in private educational institutes of those days like Parvetyar School, Ismail College, Ferguson College, to name a few. He started his career as an amateur musician while in college, and since 1944, his writings started getting published. Even at the beginning of his literary career, Pula was getting published in the mainstream journals like Abhiruchi. A prolific writer, music composer, movie director, actor, radio and television personality, translator and teacher, Pula wore many hats. And it can be said that he occupied a central position in the Marathi literary and cultural hegemony. He was also a kind of a cultural spokesperson for the Marathi middle class. Both Pula and Annabhav Sathe traveled abroad around the same time. Pula went to UK in 1958-59 and Annabhav to the Soviet Union in 1961. Uh, Pula was sent to the UK on a UNESCO scholarship to train in the BBC. The Information and Broadcasting Ministry of India was starting its first television channel on 15th August 1959. Pula went as a trainee to the BBC with the blessing from the Information and Broadcasting Ministry. India being a colonized country, it already shared societal and political values and English language with its former colonizers. There was a history of academic and cultural exchanges between the colonizers and the colonized. Even in the post-independence era, India continued receiving support from the UK in terms of human resource development. Pula's training falls under such categories. Whereas Annabam Sathe visited the Soviet Union as a part of the Indo-Soviet Cultural Society's delegation. The post-independence India was one of the key sites where the cultural Cold War was fought with Rusto, and there is a lot of recent research available uh, on this cultural Cold War. 
due to the access to the English language and due to the colonial past, UK and to a certain extent, even the US enjoyed great influence in the cultural life of India. The Soviet Union started making inroads into the Indian cultural scene around 1950s in order to counter the situation. Soviet Union came to view India as its key partner in the global anti-colonial and anti-imperial solidarity. Major thrust was given by the Soviet Union to cultural exchanges, student exchanges, films and theatres, etc. The Indo-Soviet Cultural Society had its root in the pre-independence Friends of Soviet Union Association, which came into being in 1941. Incidentally, it came up uh, in the city of Mumbai. But ISCUS became active only in the 60s when the Cultural Ties Agreement was signed between the two countries, India and the Soviet Union. Cultural exchanges and people-to-people -people contact was encouraged by Soviet societies of friendship and cultural relations with foreign countries, uh, which came into existence in September 1957. Pula Deshpande's Apurvai was first serialized in a popular German Kirloskar and later in 1960 it was brought out as a book. The book uh, is some 250-odd pages documenting Pula's stay in, uh, in the UK. Anabhav Sathya's book is comparatively modest, consisting of eight chapters and 60 odd pages. The difference in volume also can be explained again by the class caste origins of both the writers. Fuller's book bears ample evidence of the fact that the writer is well versed in the craft of writing. He draws on the cultural repertory of classical texts and performing arts tradition extensively. Anabhav's book, on the other hand, is very sincere, direct, and laconic. Despite the varying volume of the output, both the books are extremely similar in structure. So typically you have uh, the description of the preparation for the travel, the actual travel, because it was 1960s and air travel in those days was a novelty, arrival into the country, getting acclimatized to the new surroundings, visits to various uh, places, interactions with the uh, interactions with the people, interaction with the local, and summing up of the significance of the travel in their life. Uh, both the travelogues also bear uncanny resemblance when their writers remark about the cleanliness, order, and civic sense displayed by the citizens of the country. Excuse me, you have five more minutes, right? Okay, thank okay, you. I'll um, so we can say that, um, uh, I'll, I'll just try and sum up. Uh, these features have elicited praise from both the writers, but their uh, source of ideological, the source of admiration is different. Pula looks up to the Westminster model of democracy uh, as, a, as an ideal to be aspired to, whereas Annabha Usati, on the other hand, looks at the Soviet model as a validation of his ideological beliefs. Creation of a society free from class discriminations, illiteracy, unemployment, and poverty was a miracle brought about by the October Revolution. So for somebody like Annabhau, who was at the receiving end of the systemic injustice by a hierarchical and inequitable society, it was a beacon of light. Uh, then um, there is also uh, what they took from their respective dreamlands. Uh, Annabhau, by his own admission, read a lot of communist literature and uh, Russian literature in translation. And uh, it is also possible that he might have read Gorky's mother in his formative years in Mumbai. Gorky's mother first came out in 1931 when Annabau uh, came to Mumbai, so to say. And uh, in Mazarashtya Pravas, Annabau has said that Jano Dalitan's 
so he is he is giving he is giving the kind of uh, ownership and uh, uh, the um, what should i say he saying that the his gorki is being marked as originator of the dalit literature uh, by anubhav and something anubhav instinctively understood is being borne out by contemporary studies and also uh, if we have time in discussion i will explain it uh, people in india who were in search of alternative reality and who were rejecting the margi canon and uh, uh, they were they very much looked up to gorki as a role model to uh, follow their writing efforts uh both the writers have expressed their desires to meet ordinary people and in case of anubhav it would have been proved difficult but he was given, it was not the case he could interact with the ordinary russian people thanks to the 24 hours interpreter which was provided to him and this interpreter was none less than professor garanikov uh, son of the garanikov senior who was a uh, who founded the st petersburg university uh, modern indian languages department and as such literary works of contemporary writers including those of annabhau were translated into russian so wherever annabhau went at least he was known in that small circle of the elite or the academic people whereas in england uh, nobody knew anything about fuller and fuller has expressed uh, his uh, dissatisfaction and his disappointment over it and uh, in case of fuller he was lying at the center of the marathi uh, hegemonic culture and he was completely and totally ignored there whereas in case of annabhau he was he was not getting what was due to him in his native uh, literary polysystem and he was being appreciated abroad so i think i'll come to the end uh, annabhau describes his visit to the soviet union as one of the greatest achievements of his life majha jivanase safalya whereas pulan is pande writes uh, that raktacha themba themba laplela to adnyat atmara अशा काही चमत्कारी गोष्टींची मागणी करतो आणि गड्यात मोशाचा दिवा नाहीच तर केवळ दिवा आहेच याची जाणीव करून आपल्याला एकदम लहानच काढून टाकतो आणि म्हणूनच मला सुद्धा वाटते की इंग्रजी अन्न पाण्याचे माझ्या नसातून रक्त झाले नाही केवळ देहधारणेसाठी ते कामे आहेत आय एम रिमाइंडेड ऑफ अ कोर्ट ऑर आय एम रिमाइंडेड अनालिसिस विच इज डन बाय आशिष नंदी when he's talking about the bengali brahmins in the 18th century and i think this is very well applicable even in this case uh, they were the caste most exposed to westernization and the growing conflict between the old and the new now this exposure to westernization also led to economic gains and better lifestyle opportunities and the material and status gains were often associated with moral anxiety and some free floating rage at adaptive problems now this nostalgic tone of fuller glorifying and eulogizing the things indian seems very much to express such anxiety and free floating uh, rage uh, i think i'll just sum it up in this fashion today what we see that uh, this kind of anxiety and free floating rage is being very much uh, uh, you know it's being coalesced into a sense of victimhood and on the other hand uh, people who try to fight this kind of uh, systemic injustice and the beacon namely soviet union which was which was there in front of them it's not there in front of them anymore so can we take it further from here i think uh, if there are any questions i would like to take the questions 